Hi, Michaela. Hello, Steve. Well, today we're going to talk about archetypes, and that's an important part of the work you do. In fact, your book, The Wild Woman's Way, has in its title uh, the name of an archetype, The Wild Woman. So I'm wondering if we could start then, what are archetypes and how and why should we use them? Archetypes are considered a big part of Jungian psychology and uh, Carl Jung, the uh, famous Swiss psychologist, um, did quite a bit of exploration of archetypes and there's a lot of literature around archetypes from his body of work. And so in uh, Jungian archetypal considerations, we're looking at archetypes as a kind of bringing into conscious awareness um, of something that's considered within the collective unconscious. So another way of saying that is that both archetypes and the myths and stories connected to those archetypes are kind of a um, solidification or um, metabolization of um, uh, common themes, common narratives, common stories that all humans share. And within that, there is, of course, incredible power because those experiences that uh, all humans share, you know, things like grief, loss, challenge, uh, disasters, but also kind of the joy, um, the, you know, the beauty of uh, human connection, the expression as, as humans, as individual humans, all of that has been there ever since humans uh, developed. And um, there's a lot of information that we receive not only uh, genetically and epigenetically, but also kind of from a strain of common shared humanity. And Jung had a very beautiful way of working with that as a means of kind of highlighting or showing different aspects of that expression and doing it in a way that allowed people to see parts of themselves, particularly parts of themselves that they might not ever have considered or that were considered somewhat shameful or uh, submerged or hidden and be able to know oneself or ourselves better by looking at these kind of representations and by kind of somewhat externalizing them or solidifying them as something that can be looked at, we can, of course, find ourselves in that process without it being uh, super confronting. So it's a great tool in the context of um, self-inquiry and, and self-knowledge. It's a great tool in looking at what often is called the shadow. And of course, the shadow has been um, grossly uh, misused and misrepresented these days because uh you know people people um use shadow work as a means of confronting their demons or confronting certain aspects um and there's a lot of misconception there but in the in the in the kind of more traditional context of shadow work um we can use the archetypes and the kind of shadows of the archetypes as a means of confronting aspects of ourselves that we might not potentially be able to do otherwise. And the interesting thing uh, with a shadow, of course, which is uh, why it's often kind of misused, is that as long as it's an actual shadow, you can't see it, not even in an archetype. Uh, it is hidden, right? That's what the shadow is. And so in archetypal work, 
um, often the first thing that has to happen is that uh, somebody can have the wherewithal to see it. In the moment you can see it, it's of course no longer your shadow. So there's a kind of really interesting exploration of the, let's say, darker, hidden, submerged, shameful, um, or inappropriate aspects of us within the archetypal work as well. But the archetypes themselves are essentially a means of bringing joined uh, joint humanity or joint um, experience into our awareness so we can um, use it as a means of becoming fuller and deeper and more expressed humans. Well, that's interesting. When you said that when you are able to excavate something from the shadow and you're able to see it, it's no longer the shadow. What is it then if it's no longer the shadow? And is that where, so to say, the shadow work ends? Is simply seeing it enough? Well, traditionally speaking, right, that the, the shadow work ends there in the sense that once it's come to the surface, you can actually work with it like you can work with it with any other material. Uh, what's so uh, beautiful about the concepts of archetypal work and, and shadow work in the more traditional therapeutic sense right and what we are talking about is kind of going beyond the traditional therapeutic sense as well but in the traditional therapeutic sense it's really nice to be able to bring somebody to insights without having to kind of dip their nose in the gunk so to speak right it's a very elegant and very beautiful way of um, allowing somebody to feel something without going head on, which is particularly important when we look at stuff that's submerged, right? Both in the realms of trauma and shame, as well as in the realms of, let's say, darker expressions of oneself or actual, um, you know, kind of maladaptive behaviors. Um, often these things are quite crafty at um, kind of evading um, exploration. And so the, the archetypal shadow um, work is a very elegant way of allowing a view there and allowing an experience there without uh, it being too confronting and too head on. And so a lot of that then has to do with actually bringing it into conscious awareness, which is what archetypes are designed for, and also what a lot of myth and story is designed for, not only in the context of Jungian psychology, but beyond that. You know? And then um, when that's uh, accomplished and it's no longer a shadow, right, then you can work with it uh, the way you would work with anything that you know about. And what I mean by that is you can look at how do you cope? Can you alter something? Can it be resolved? Can you have different kind of behaviors around it? Is knowing about it actually going to dissolve some of the the knot or the tension or the you know the restriction around it? So then, out of that kind of bringing it into light and bringing it into awareness, all the usual. Uh, modes of dealing with it from the psychological to the, um, let's say, behavior pattern changing to the more, let's say, mystical or shamanic aspects um, apply at that point. What are some of the other ways in which you use archetypal work? Well, in the work that we do, you know, often the archetypes are then taken a bit further into embodiment. And 
I'm, you know, obviously a very big fan of archetypal work for some of the reasons I've described before, which is it's a very beautiful way to bring something into one's life and one's experience without it being too on the nose and uh, or too confronting or head on. But then there's a whole other realm to archetypes that I'm super passionate about, obviously, in the context of both um our work around embodiment and our work around, let's say, relationship, intimacy, sexuality, the expression as a human in the world, that, that aspect. Because as humans, we have a certain way of being, right? We have ways that have that we've created for ourselves that work for us and that are our natural expression, let's say. But beyond that, there's endless possibility as to how to widen one's insight and one's repertoire and one's expression. And a lot of time when people want to do what is considered personal growth or development, what they're looking for is other ways or, or expanded ways of being. But what it then boils down to often is that particularly, you know, when people uh, get heavily marketed to that it's all about what's wrong with them or what's faulty or what's shameful and how can they just learn something else to fix it or how can they become a better person or things like that. I mean, we're just coming out of New Year's where everybody's trying to resolve their flaws, so to speak, right? And so uh, within the context of growth and development, um, there's another way to go, which is you can look at these different aspects of expression, these different aspects of being, and you can simply add to your repertoire, which is kind of the tantric way is where you constantly add and expand in these, uh, let's say, concentric circles outwards. You're not trying to um, cut out a piece or not be that person. You're constantly going and, and, and in a very accepting way. And that includes negative or shadow aspects or aspects that were considered dark or shameful. And so in the way we work with archetype and also the way I, you know, I work with archetypes in sessions is often to allow that archetypal work to do uh, the job of including all aspects of a person and for them to um, not only accept, but embrace certain aspects of themselves as a means of becoming a fuller human being or a wider human being or a gentler or a kinder human being by allowing these things to also take a place. And so in that context, uh, particularly when we bring the body into the occasion, uh, it can become kind of a really informative and very powerful way of uh, embodying fully oneself fully and learning different aspects of ourselves more fully so that they can then be offered both in a relational way also in a creative way in a sexual way you know, so it's it's a very um interesting field to consider when we bring the body into it and the actual embodiment of archetypes so one of the other things that I've really enjoyed in the archetypal work that we've been doing in the last couple of years with the various 12 facets programs is that archetypes can be used specifically kind of as a remedy, as a medicine. And that kind of remedial or medicine 
uh, use of archetypes has to do with bringing the body into the exploration and allowing the body to do the excavating of both uh, the useful aspects in ourselves as well as the shadow aspects. So when we look at certain archetypes, uh, and for instance, the wild woman, right, uh, when we talk about archetypes, of course, the wild woman and my book, The Wild Woman's Way, is an archetype, right? So the wild woman, which is, by the way, often a very uh, also misused archetype, wild, the wild woman is not an archetype of fangs and claws and, you know, like clawing the walls and screaming bloody murder. The wild woman is actually the archetype connected to cycles and rhythms and nature and clued into the natural world and arising from the natural world, which is very important because, of course, a woman's body endocrine system and every human's endocrine system, by the way, you know, is is within cycles, circadian rhythms, moon cycles, uh, you know, cycles of uh, the, how the sun sets and rises over the course of a year and all of that. So that's an archetype that when it's fully embodied, reconnects us with our original nature, meaning who we always have been as humans, instinct, intuition, uh, connection, but it also reconnects us with our body in a way that we can pursue a much more holistic kind of integrity around how our body in, interacts with the natural world for health, uh, for hormonal health, for sexual health, health of the planet, all of those kind of things. So the wild woman is specifically a remedial archetype for reconnecting our bodies with the natural world and us with our bodies. So that would be kind of a remedy. Um, then there's other things, like for instance, um, I, in the last uh, 12 facets of the feminine, we did things like the consort or the high priestess or you know things like that. They have very specific flavors that when explored, we can see where do we actually own that more and become more of who we are by, let's say, the high priestess commanding a certain kind of attention towards the wisdom we've gathered? And also, where's the shadow of where we think we should be a high priestess simply because we think that's a cool title, right? And, and there's a certain entitlement there. So these things can be fleshed out by embodying an archetype, right? So there's darker remedial archetypes where we allow ourselves to express things that are classically societally you know, connected with shame or being ostracized. And so in working with that archetype and understanding what that archetype's good for, and as well allowing our body to inhabit that archetype, so to speak, we can sort out what's useful, what's uh, you know shadowy in the sense that we didn't even know we had those aspects, bring that to awareness, work with that in a way that it can be used um, for good instead of uh, holding us back in certain ways. So that's what I mean with the remedial aspect of an archetype. And then, of course, there's certain archetypes where we have great affinity 
where we feel kind of connected already that are uh, easier for us and that we identify with. And we can then use the archetype to broaden our ability to embody that through movement, through exploration, through understanding uh, the deeper applications of that. So there's, there's a whole vast realm of um, how we can use archetypes uh, as medicine, so to speak. Or um, for instance, if you, you know, are somebody who has a hard time, not you personally, but if somebody has a hard time setting boundaries, then having engaged with, let's say, an archetype that's the, the you know, it's like a warrior archetype or a very cutting through, um, you know, illusion kind of an archetype is good because in the embodiment of the archetype, we gain kind of the muscle memory and the psychic memory to then use that archetype or channel that archetype for a moment when we need to set a boundary. And once again, as I was saying earlier, sometimes it's really nice to do that in the, in the context of archetypes because they... Uh, really link us in with humanity and they're not kind of devoid of that or artificial, we can find that within ourselves and kind of draw from the source of all humanity for behavior changes, as well as for the good of, you know, all. And that to me feels just, uh, you know, very aligned with what a lot of people want to do with their lives, which is, um, you know, have have a have a better time, but beyond a better time, also be able to navigate their relationships, intimate and otherwise, better. And you're talking there about the twelve facets programs, which are two twelve month programs. We've been running these last couple of years, 2021, 2022. Each month, the group would explore a different archetype, and that proved to be very popular and very very interesting indeed. And in fact, we're running a new version of that in 2023 with a whole different lineup of archetypes and that's called 12 facets of union that's got an interesting take on on this archetype work which we'll talk about perhaps in a moment before we do what are some common misunderstandings or mistakes uh, when it comes to working with archetypes well like i said in the beginning i think one of the common mistakes is when people um take the shadow into the conscious realm so what i mean by that is sometimes people will use uh, having found a shadow or having explored a shadow as an excuse, right? Well, I can't do anything about that. I'm just a whatever, uh, you know, a warrior, or I just like to kill things. That's part of my makeup or, you know, like where, where essentially something that can be integrated is taken as a means of wielding uh, a weapon or things of that nature, or as an excuse as to why things don't have to be integrated. So I think that's one of the bigger aspects of what can go wrong when one explores the shadow, right? Is or then fixate on the shadow, which is uh, you know no longer really a shadow, but something that can be worked with, um, and kind of endlessly go in the. Uh, in, in kind of a circle around that shadow and kind of pick, like you always say, pick a scab over and over and over, when really it should be, uh, you know, shining a light in the cave, the bats fly out, you explore the cave, there's, you know, there's light in there now, you move on and integrate that versus, 
you know, going back there again and again and again and, and, and linking everything to that fresh explorations that could be considered a, um, a way out. And then, of course, the other thing is that, of course, these archetypes are they're the very core of humanity in the context of there's endless, you know, endless archetypes. They, of course, interweave and draw from each other and things like that. And they are not a lifestyle, you know, meaning uh, you want to explore as much of that archetypal exploration, which we do naturally in even in, you know, in stories as a as a, a TV show or a movie. They, you know, the storytelling arcs are often archetypal arcs, meaning it's the joint humanity that gets brought into some kind of a story that then we can all feel and express through our body. And so that is, um, is, is exactly what it's meant to do. It's supposed to inform us and deepen us as humans and give us a deeper understanding of who we are, not kind of a cosplay kind of situation where you become an archetype and you try and hold on to that and live there and make it kind of a almost a fetish of your expression it's it's uh, it's integrating metabolizing and putting to service and not um you know kind of uh, hanging on to it as a means of uh, driving a point home or as a means of identity that's very interesting. I wonder if you might say something about 12 facets of union. Yeah, like you were saying earlier, we did two years of uh, uh, feminine uh, archetypes from the very, very light to the very dark and everything in between. And um, this year, what we're kind of taking from there and and kind of deepening is we're looking at archetypes and their relational myth. So in each season, because they're always, you know, grouped in seasons, um, and each season has a theme typically also connected to, you know, how seasonal changes run in the body. So there's four seasons, obviously, and in each season, we're looking at a male archetype and a female archetype and their myths. So in season number one, it's Rama and Sita, um, and both their uh, individual expression as an archetype, as a story, as a myth, and then the story of them and the kind of both lessons, but as well the more kind of, let's say, subversive, erotic, and also shadow aspects of that story, right? That's huge. Uh, themes of, let's say, betrayal, uh, but also devotion, connection in that story that can be pulled out so our bodies can be informed uh, not only by the archetypal expression of Sita or the archetypal expression of Rama, but also of how their story plays out and how the myth of those two um, inform our body through the common themes that the shared humanity. So we're taking it uh, from just embodying the archetype to also learning how these stories inform us and what can we learn from these stories. And so each of the seasons has one of that. There's Eros and Psyche, there's Lancelot and Guinevere, there's uh, 
uh, Persephone and Hades, all of which have very strong erotic undertones um, and very strong relational undertones that can be explored as a means of um, informing our bodies for kind of everyday relationship. And the reason I'm really excited about um, you know, branching out here is that we, of course, have internal masculine and feminine um, expressions, but we also have external, you know, external relational expressions. And so we can play kind of with the inner marriage, as well as with the external expression of those forces, that erotic friction, the play, the, you know, the, the thing that makes life interesting, which is all forms of relationship and interaction. Yeah, and each season, of course, has three months, four seasons, three months, and people can join the whole year at a substantial discount, or they can join season by season. And if they do join uh, the 12 facets of union, they also get 50% of everything else we're doing that year. Uh, that includes in-person trainings, that includes teacher trainings and so on. So it's one of those portals, if you like, to working more uh, with us is to is to sign up to that program and that opens up 50% discount for other registrations you might make that year. Yeah, these always prove so popular. I think you're right. It's that multi-level possibility of archetypal work. And depending on where you're at and what's interesting and useful for you, they hit differently, it seems. And especially when you combine it as you do with the embodiment aspect, the embodied exploration, not just cognitive, not just narrative or intellectual, there's also that embodiment aspect that also seems to recruit uh, a more diverse pool of wisdom in, in one's being to connect to these archetypes. And I think people are often very surprised. I hear that time and again, month month after month in these other archetype programs that we've been doing. Uh, people are often surprised what they get out of it and um, how, how it takes, you know, how it, it, it approaches from the side somehow in a surprising and unexpected way. So it's going to be very interesting, I think, 12 facets of union. Yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to say about archetypes uh, before we close today? Yeah, I think the last thing to say is I'm super excited to start another year of 12 facets. It's been just uh, an incredibly creative process. And I hope uh, to see some people who are listening on the course. And uh, of course, uh, the link for the current program is uh, in the show notes. Also, the first season of 12 Facets, 12 Facets of the Feminine, is available as an evergreen course. So it's an on-demand instant access course. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Michaela.